How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 137 of X Lapsed, where we are back. Yeah, I was going to say we're back on the Dawn of X trail here, but uh, in fact, we're not. Uh, Dawn of X is over and done with. Uh, at least I think so. Uh, we've morphed into something called the Reign of X, which may be the Reign of Ten, but I'm never going to call it that. Uh, we are kicking this off with. Uh, Hell, my favorite book here, uh, Hellions, issue number seven, which had a February 2021 cover date. The story's called Whetstone, written by Zeb Wells, with art by Stephen Segovia. Colors by David Curiel, letters VCs Corey Petit, designs Tom Muller. Head of X's Hickman, edits Basso Amaro, White Sobolski, cover price $3.99. This one went on sale December 2nd of 2020. Now this one here has a pretty striking cover. We've got a sinister, uh, very uh, melodramatically like thrown onto a uh, tombstone for the Hellions here. We can tell he is very, very upset. And uh, in fact, when we open the issue, eh, he's he's pretty upset. Uh, we open with Mister Sinister, and he is in front of the Quiet Council, laying it on really, really thick. Uh, uh, he's really upset about the death of his beloved Hellions. You see. Um, this whole thing is so over the top and so wonderful. Now, the rest of the members of the Quiet Council, which still looks like it includes Jean Grey, they know he's full of it, but they allow him to drone on and on and on anyway. And I tell you, I'm loving it because the uh, the council members are just like, oh, listen, would you listen to this guy? And it's like, oh, just let him do it. Let him get it out here. It's so over the top. Now, you'd, you'd almost think that Sinister might calibrate a little bit, uh, because it's, it's got to be clear, even to him, that, you know, this is a bit much. Just a little bit. Now, uh, back to Gene being part of the Quiet Council. I mention that because it's uh, made pretty clear here that this story, this part of the story, is taking place firmly after X of Tens. Because Sinister mentions that Apocalypse went off to buy a house on Arako. Uh, this is being said as if to accuse Apocalypse of being a traitor and maybe even being responsible for setting up the Hellions when they were on their ill-fated sword-swiping mission. It also makes me wonder if this means that Apocalypse is still somewhere on Earth since it seemed like Arako in its entirety was part of that final arrangement with Saturnine. Uh, I suppose we'll have to wait and see on that. Then again, I thought that the trade had Apocalypse and Genesis going to Amenth, not Arako. Maybe I'm just confused. Maybe Zeb Wells and I are both confused. Maybe we're all confused. I mean, we have all these weird little locations here. And, uh, boy, I mean, just to, just to you know, draw a line over under how uh, confusing this is, we actually have to get confirmation here that Nanny, the Orphan Maker, and Wildchild did not die in Otherworld. They died 
maybe in Araco, maybe in Amenf, I don't know. And this was an idea that we had batted around a bit since last issue here because we weren't 100% clear on whether or not uh, those who died over there would be able to be uh, resurrected. And we pop in to uh, call me Kate, who's chatting up Emma, uh, talking about how Professor X and the Five are already at work resurrecting those lost. And uh, as a matter of fact, that's exactly where we're headed to next. Let's hop over to the hatchery, where the three dicey deaths are being discussed. Now, Wild Child and Nanny are both back. Not so much scrambled like Rockslide was, but uh, changed nonetheless. Now, Orphan Maker, he's something altogether different. You see, without his armor, his mutant powers will emerge, which is something that we'll, we will be repeatedly told throughout this issue should never, ever, ever be allowed to happen. So he's still in resurrection limbo, at least for now. Now, at this moment, Nanny and Wildchild hatch, and yeah, uh, well, at least Wildchild looks a bit different. Uh, Nanny kind of just bursts out of the the egg, like her arms and feet come out, or her arms and legs come out. So it looks just like she's Nanny, but she's in a hatchery egg, a gold ball, I guess, rather than in her regular egg-shaped containment unit. From here, we go into an info page, and it basically recaps everything Xavier just explained to the five. Uh, Orphan Maker's mutant power cannot ever be unleashed. And Nanny and Wildchild have been brought back, but they're both a little bit extra. Now he says, and I'm assuming this is Xavier who says this, it's not entirely clear, but I'd have to assume that this is his report. In it, they say, uh, their personalities are intact, but focused. Nanny is more Nanny. Wildchild is more Wildchild. These things read poorly on paper, but are clear in person, believe me. Then, double-page spread of creds and the roll call... On on one double-page spread? Oh my goodness, a reign of X is already making better use of paginal real estate right out the get-go. Let's do our roll call. We got Havoc, the orphan maker, who won't really show up here. Nanny, Wildchild, Psylocke, Empath, Grey Crow, and Mr. Sinister. Then we get a mostly blank quote page from Nightcrawler, so I guess uh, so much for our uh, our good use of paginal real estate. Let's return to comics, and we've got Havoc chatting up Emma Frost. Now, the thing here is, Alex is asking to be removed from the Hellions team. Emma assures him that this is for his own good, and goes on to suggest that something is wrong with his mind, but won't elaborate. She says, your mind, dot, dot, dot. Well, let's not go into that. Huh. I wonder if anyone else's uh, spidey senses uh, started to tingle there. I think we could probably craft a handful of theories over that line alone. Um, Now, Emma says that Alex must remain on the Hellions, not only for his sake, but for everyone's sake. Huh. Again, I wonder. From here, we shift over to Bar Sinister for a briefing on the Hellions' next mission. But first, Empath and Grey Crow discuss the fact that Sinister's story about how they all died has, well, a couple of holes in it. Um, now, Quinan tells them that Sinister's statements are not to be questioned under any circumstances. Then, Wildchild and Nanny enter the scene, and yeah, they're both a bit extra. Nanny is still in her egg-shaped armor, but uh, looks almost a bit scary. Well, I like guess scarier than her regular egg-shaped costume here, but it's, uh... It's different. It's different. Now, Wildchild, he looks less feral than before, and certainly more focused. He's standing upright. He's not, he's not as beastial. 
Uh, Sinister busts into the scene and even pulls off the line. A variation on the line. Uh, He says, to me, my Hellions, which I'll allow because it's meant to be silly and sassy, and uh, Sinister's won me over. I'll let him have it. From here, Sinister reintroduces Nanny and Wildchild to the team, and he even turns the floor over to them to say a few words. Neither is feeling all that talkative. And so, Sinister jumps right into the business at hand. Now, we've got our team. We've got Nanny and Wildchild back. Conspicuous by his absence, would-be orphan maker, right? So how do we go about getting him back? Well, that's basically the next mission in a nutshell. Sinister presents his team with a job to procure some nanny tech so she could craft another suit of Orphan Maker armor and hopefully spare the world of uh, being exposed to whatever the hell his mutant power is. Now, we learn that a lot of her tech is on her eggship, which kind of resembles the Blue Beetle's bug craft, if you're familiar with that. Now, this ship has been repossessed by the mutant hate group, The Right, a name which might cancel out all of my observations about how much more uh, subtle uh, about their political biases comics were back in the long ago. Uh, Sinister turns it over to Nanny to explain, and uh, what she does is recite a creepy nursery rhyme about how dangerous Orphan Maker's powers are. Now, Grey Crow, he still smells a rat, and he asks Sinister if he'll be accompanying them on the mission, to which Sinister goes, nah, you know, been there, done that. At this point, Grey Crow and Empath have really had enough of Sinister's sh- uh, stuff, and it looks as though they're about to make a play. Psylocke then steps in in an attempt to defuse the situation, and by defuse, I mean she jams her psychic blade between Sinister and the Hellions while threatening to use it. She tells the team that they got two choices. They either get on the jet, or they wind up on their backs. And so, jet it is. Now, as the team loads up, Sinister tells Psylocke that she is so pretty when she's being loyal. We also find out a bit more about that package that Sinister's holding for her. And I can't remember who mentioned it in the mailbag. I think a couple of people did, but uh, you guys were right. Um, This isn't entirely about Apoth. It's more about Quanan's daughter. Now, Sinister has Quanon's daughter, well, like a digital version of her anyway, uh, all because the kid used that overclock drug, uh, her mind was downloaded into a path. Then since Quanon gave Sinister a path at the end of Fallen Angels, he was, in theory, able to separate it from the collective. Sinister even offers Quanon the opportunity to speak with her daughter, but she declines. Now, the next thing we know, we're on the Hellion's ship, which is the Sonic Sinister. They're flying over my current stomping grounds, Arizona, which is depicted like a very green and lush place. Even, you know, water all over the place. Uh, must not be anywhere near the valley, because uh, we don't got a whole lot of that here. Now, on board, we meet Sinister's AI pilot, Clive, who repeats how awesome Mr. Essex is over and over again. We see a chat between Grey Crow and Wildchild. The former is very pleased to see that the newly focused version of the latter is uh, who they got after Resurrection. We can see that old Gibney is sitting more like a human, you know, more upright. He's not hunched. Uh, and he's also speaking in complete sentences, so uh, there's that too. Meanwhile, Havoc heads into the cockpit to chat, chat up or actually confront Quanan. He wants to know what her weird loyalty to Sinister is all about. Now, as Alex continues to question her, she puts the Sonic Sinister into Clive mode, which is to say, autopilot. 
while aiming it directly at the Wright's headquarters. She tells Alex to get everyone to the escape pods because, well, there's going to be a crash. And so the Hellions do the thing, and they're able to vacate the ship before it smashes a big ol' hole in the concrete perimeter surrounding the Wright's HQ. Sinister is watching this go down via a monitor, and he cries out for his loyal Clive. So, R.I.P. Clive. We, We knew you so little. Now the dust settles, and the Hellions are faced off against a couple of the Wright's... Robots? I mean, they talk like robots, but I could have sworn the Wright actually had humans in the weird smiley face armors. Uh, the bots confirm that they're dealing with a sub-team of the X-Men and go on the attack. Nanny and Wildchild make ridiculously short work of them. I mean, they are just a, a tour de force here. Uh, the latter, Wildchild, is quite upset that, despite all his slashing and rending, this enemy has no blood. So, yeah, robots. We wrap up the issue with the revelation of who I'm assuming will be this arc's big bad, and it is our old friend, Cameron Hodge. You know, Angel's buddy, who helped them start X-Factor before turning on them and uh, doing all that nasty stuff. Uh, and he's not hes not a gross phalanx-looking thing at the moment. He looks like just a regular dude. Um, only upon close-up to his face here, we can see some odd, like, glowy lines on the bottom right side of his face, which... I can't remember what the post-humans look like, but uh, maybe this is a sign of post-humanity? I mean, that was kind of a big deal when we started this thing, right? Anyway, I suppose that'll all remain to be seen for now, because we are out of here. Next episode, we are looking at X-Factor, number five. So, what did we all think of this issue of Hellions here? It's probably not the strongest issue, but it was still a really good time here. Um... Let's work our way through it here. There were a few takeaways that I wanted to touch on. Um, Sassy Sinister steals the show here, right? Uh, I mean, even right at the right out the gate here, his performance before the Quiet Council was fan friggin tastic. I mean, it's totally obvious that he's full of it, but the Council like just allows him to do it. Maybe they're giving him enough rope with which to hang himself, or. Maybe they find him as amusing as I do. Um, Whatever the case here, uh, (laughs) really, really well done. It was just so over the top, so silly. Um, It really shouldn't work, but damned if it doesn't. Um, His his entire issue was great here. Uh, Holding the meeting with the team, uh, crying for poor Clive (laughs) after he's crashed into the concrete perimeter. I mean... Sinister is just, he's killing it here. Really, really well done. Um, More on that meeting with the Hellions here. Uh, He he turns the floor over to the very untalkative wild child and nanny who is just, God only knows what she is right now. And it's just uh, one of those signs here, and we've talked about this with Hellions before, uh, just the the comic timing, the comedic timing here. uh, It actually feels like almost cinematic. Like you can see... You could see the scene actually playing out before you. It's just really, really well done. Um, And I love that his silliness here is almost immediately juxtaposed with the more sinister revelation that he's got Quanan under his thumb because he's he was able to, or he claims he was able to finagle her daughter's binary code from the Apoth download. So we still see that uh, this guy isn't just a clown, right? Uh, he He's projecting as a clown, but he is a dangerous individual who has methods to get people to uh, perform for him. And uh, 
just have I said well done enough? <laughs> it's Zeb well done. Oh, that that's awful. I apologize. Um, Orphan Maker, his powers. Uh, I don't know what his powers are, but the fact that we're hearing that they're just so. Um, I don't know if they're unpredictable. I don't know if they're inconvenient. I don't know if they're they're truly like world-endingly dangerous. But it's like, shouldn't the X Men have tried to deal with this for all the years that uh, Young Peter was a villain? Like, if he had the power, I mean, let's go all the way out here and assume that he is the mutant equivalent of a world-ending nuclear bomb. Right, that's as that's like as far as we can go. A, a, a galaxy-rending bomb is this guy. Wouldn't the X Men have dealt with that? Like, wouldn't the X Men have wanted to uh, maybe take him off the board while he was a uh, ranting and raving villain who uh, was, you know, concerned with suckling off Nanny and stuff? I mean, seems like kind of a wild card with such an immense power to just let run free. I wonder if maybe his powers are more inconvenient. Uh, maybe something that he can do would, I don't know, maybe we'd find, maybe it would spread the word about Mora being, you know, in the no place, right? Or maybe it would just do something that would undermine what uh, the Quiet Council are trying to do with Krakoa. They don't say, which is great, which is great that they don't say it. All they say is that. He's got this power that mustn't ever happen, mustn't, mustn't ever manifest, mustn't ever be revealed. So, I mean, we can theorize so many different things here. We can theorize that it is the bomb, or we can theorize that it's just a gotcha for the Quiet Council, and it's something that Xavier is a bridge that Xavier doesn't want to cross. I'm going to be interested if, uh, if we are even going to bother bringing him back in the first place here. This mission is about getting the nanny tech so she can craft some new armor so the body can be immediately put in this armor, I'm guessing. But maybe it's not worth the trouble. I guess we'll find out as we go here. Now, speaking of theories, Havoc has a discussion with Emma Frost, right? Feels like a very strange conversation. I don't know that we've seen these two on the same panel together for quite some time, but... Emma knows something, and uh, we don't, right? We've seen Havoc acting erratically uh, since Hellions number one, where he, you know, he almost killed uh, a human, right? He almost killed a few humans. He had to be stopped before he did, and he did that whole thing where he like kind of just looked at his hands, like, "Oh man, what did I almost do?" I don't know if this means he's under some sort of influence. I don't know if this means that he's just losing his marbles. Emma mentions something about his mind, but then just doesn't doesn't elaborate on it. Could Havoc himself be something of an inconvenience to the Quiet Council? I, I wonder. I wonder how much of this really is for his own good, because Emma says it's for his own good and everyone else's. So maybe this is a case of the needs of the many versus the needs of the one. I I really don't know. Uh, it feels like they've been kind of. Tamping down on Alex here Just keeping him out of the spotlight Despite the fact that I mean, if we go back to the beginning of X of Tens here He's the one who accepted Saturnine's uh, threat Or Saturnine's challenge It was him and Polaris there And she's like, hey, you guys are challenged to this This festival of swords And it was Havoc that said, okay <laughs> You know, we'll do it 
I don't know if that even means anything uh, or if anybody was even paying attention to who said, yeah, let's do it. And at the end of the day, it might not even matter. It just feels kind of weird that they're kind of holding Havoc back, but he was uh, in a leadership role in the big crossover. Don't know. Now let's talk about the right for a minute. I will concede that it's been forever since I read the old X-Factor stuff. You know, back when the right were introduced, so I really can't speak to that. Or how they were able to repossess Nanny's eggship. Uh, was Nanny tied up with the right? Was she, like... Was she, I don't know, part of their organization at some point? I mean, it almost sounds right. I can almost remember it. But I can't recall enough to say with any certainty that this was the case... Looking at it now, though, wouldn't it be a little bit weird considering that Nanny is a mutant working for a anti-mutant hate group? I don't know. Just seems weird. Cameron Hodge. Cameron Hodge. Let's talk Cameron Hodge. I've long talked about how special X-Factor number one was to me growing up. Uh, it was the book that I found at a, at a mall convention. I found it for it was like $5, and I thought I was just the luckiest boy in the entire world to have... And X-Men number one from the 80s, you know, X-Factor number one. And that issue featured the first appearance of Cameron Hodge. Uh, And so I subconsciously always uh, considered him to be a much more important character than he ever actually was. Uh, He's popped up a time or two, right? We've seen him in a few different iterations. Uh, He was part of the Extinction Agenda, the Phalanx Covenant. We see him. He pops up from time to time. But since I owned his first appearance, uh, and this is before, you know, Phalanx and stuff, but uh, I always viewed him as being much more important and integral to the X-Men lore than he actually was here. So on a personal level, it tickles me to see Cameron Hodge here in present day, and I I do look forward to seeing more of him here. I, I think he's a great, slimy villain and almost a perfect fit for this Hellions book, considering... I mean, we just dealt with the Marauders and the Goblin Queen. Cameron Hodge is, you know, someone whose name could be said in the same breath as uh, as those characters, at least to me. So, uh, and Hellions is, I mean, as uh, non-traditional as it is, it's probably the most traditional X-book that we've got going at the moment here. Um, between this and Marauders, it's, it's a neck-and-neck race here. This feels like it could be something out of the 80s, you know, just in the nuts and bolts of it. So... I think Cameron Hodge is a good fit here, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, just what happens here. I'm looking forward to everything about this. I'm looking forward to see if we can if we get any answers on Orphan Maker. I'm wanting to see what uh, the new nanny and wild child are all about. I want to see what, uh, I mean, God help me, I'm, I'm interested in Quinan's daughter and the Apoth stuff, and I didn't think that was going to happen at any time. Um, also, i got to say, the art, wonderful. Wonderful art here. Uh, the emotions on, I mean, not to go back to Sinister again, because I've talked about that a lot, but the emotions on his face here, um, so great. So great. And it's, and it's just so over the top. It's so exaggerated, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Uh, Steven Segovia just uh, murders it here. Just wonderful, wonderful work. Uh, definitely, and I say this every time we're talking about Hellions, if, uh, if you ain't buying Hellions... Well, you should be buying Hellions because it is a fantastic book. But that's all I got to say about the issue. Let's hop into the mailbag here. Now we're going to start with Damien who's talking about X of Swords Destruction number one. 
He says, unlike you, I'm a little sad to be coming to the end of X of Tens again. It really did make me excited to read the X books again. And you know, it's funny, since I didn't read this along with everybody, you know, when it was coming out on the, on the shelves every week, and I don't know that I'll ever be in that sort of position to do so since I get my books, you know, um, after the fact. I don't get, I don't go to the shop every week. I, I get my one monthly shipment. So I'm always going to be a certain amount behind. So I won't be on top of the, the conversation as it happens here. But what you said made a lot of sense. And it reminded me of just how much fun it could be to follow one of these big events. Because uh, I feel like maybe I didn't experience it the way I should have in that, I mean, when I started, it was done. You know, it was already done. Everybody, I got to figure everybody was A, already through it, and B, already done with it. Because it was a long one. But what you said here reminded me of just how much fun it was to beyond the, the beyond the cutting edge of an of an x-men uh, or I guess any comic book uh, event um, I'm thinking back to things like uh, Messiah complex second coming um, and just how much fun those were to follow week to week to week because it was just it was just a lot of fun you know there was momentum there where this dawn of X run that we had all what was it a hundred hundred or so issues of dawn of X, a lot of times it just didn't feel like it was going anywhere. But when we have a 22-part story, there's at least the impression that things are moving forward. And I'm even thinking back to like crossovers that I felt were lackluster, like uh, Battle of the Atom, that Bendis thing. And uh, the, uh, what was it, the Blood of Apocalypse or whatever, the, uh, the one that went through all new X-Men, Extraordinary X-Men, and that weird... Uncanny X-Men And how I didn't care for those stories Very much at all But I had fun reading them I've had fun going through them As they were coming out I felt like I was, you know I felt like I was on the ground floor of the story And I was able to actually experience it play out The way I was supposed to And I, I, I mean I also wasn't spending several hours Every day uh, analyzing them But uh, I totally get the uh, I totally get and appreciate the idea that I mean this did make it exciting to read the books again. This made it like appointment reading, right? Um, now Damien continues. Much of this issue is simply a great big fight scene. Laraz and Gracia shone throughout, making it look epic, but it did mean that a lot of characterization was pushed to one side. It was really only Apocalypse and Saturnine who got any character development. I find myself mainly focused on the epilogue and what it suggests for the Reign of X. I'm sure that we're meant to take that as Reign of Ten. I'm sure we're supposed to take it as Reign of Ten, too. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that. Uh, losing two members of the Quiet Council really tips the balance toward the bad guys when it comes to the votes. And that's what I thought, too. Because, I mean, Apocalypse was basically a good guy at this point. He was working in his own interests, but he was also working in the interests of the, the wider you know, Krakoa uh, collective, the, the wider nation of Krakoa here. He didn't want, he wasn't pulling strings behind the scenes like Sinister, um, didn't have his own interests like Sebastian Shaw. Uh, Mystique, I mean, she's she's a, uh, she's a time bomb, right? Just waiting to explode here. She's a loose cannon. So I expected it to be a bit, a bit different. Um, but 
Here in Hellions, we see that Gene's still part of it. I don't know if that's... Maybe it's an error. Uh, it could be a continuity error. And honestly, I'm not really sure how I feel about it either way. I don't know if I need Gene to be or not to be a member of the Quiet Council. Uh, I guess that'll all remain with uh, what happens in the uh, upcoming issues of X-Men when we actually get a team of X-Men in a book called X-Men, which I'm actually looking forward to. Um, Damien continues. Of course, we also have the return of the X-Men, independently of the Quiet Council. This gives us so many opportunities for future stories. Hopefully, this will refocus the X-Men book and give us some great stories. And yes... My thoughts exactly. I really hope that there is a newly focused um, X-Men book here. Just give us some team stuff. Give us some superheroics. Give us something that feels more like an X-Men book than uh, whatever the X-Men book is right now. Not. I don't want it to be an issue of X-Men Unlimited anymore. Just give me a good old uncanny X-Men sort of stories here. Uh, Damien continues, It also sounds like Storm is going to leave Krakoa. I just hope it's for a solo book and not to rejoin the Black Panther cast. Now, that I didn't get. I didn't notice that here. Maybe you know more than I do, um, reading ahead into uh, Marauders. But uh, I didn't get that. Uh, Then again, I was probably quite exhausted when I got to the epilogue portion of the issue, so I might have glossed over something. Uh, Damien continues. I hope that the launch of S.W.O.R.D. as a new book will put all the space stuff into one place and make the other X-Books more focused on Earth. Of course, Hickman isn't writing S.W.O.R.D., and I suspect he can't resist sci-fi. I hope so. I hope you're right. I hope that all the space stuff can be in that one book, so it's not every single issue that we're reading here. It's it's funny. Um, I, I was on a show not too long ago talking about... Uh, Concepts in comics that I don't care for so much And uh, when I'm talking about Marvel Comics The things that I don't like about Marvel Comics Are usually, usually comes down to S.H.I.E.L.D. And the Inhumans, right? I think they're both beyond dull Beyond played out Way overexposed as being very two-dimensional Not having much to say And it feels like, you know, every so often They'll try to launch a book with them And then I would think to myself, oh great <laughs> All the S.H.I.E.L.D. crap will be in the S.H.I.E.L.D. book. But then we get the stark reminder that nobody cares about S.H.I.E.L.D. And the book gets cancelled, and then S.H.I.E.L.D.'s back to being in every book. Same with the Inhumans. They, they did that ridiculous launch during one of the Marvel Nows, uh, like 2013-2014, where we had Inhumans, all new Inhumans, Inhumanity, uh, uncanny Inhumans. And nobody cared, <laughs> because the Inhumans suck. And so instead of just having them all in the in their little fiefdom over there, they decide, okay, well, no, nah, this didn't work, so let's 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 just spread them out in all the books again. This is like a reverse version of that here. We've got all this space crap, <laughs> and it's like, hey, here's a sword book. Maybe that's where they'll stick all the space crap. But uh, I I'm not gonna hold my breath because as you say here, Hickman just can't resist. He can't help himself. We're gonna have. We're going to have space crap. I'm sure of it. Uh, Damien continues. And apparently we have millions of mutants added to the cast from Morocco. Hopefully we're going to see lots more of Iska the Unbeaten, since she is the head of the Arakasinian (laughs) version of the Quiet Council. I just hope that we don't have to turn every story into the X-Men versus hundreds of faceless Arachoids. Yeah, me too. 
Me too. And I, I forgot about the 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 fact that Arako. I, I mean, despite reading the same story twice, I forgot that they had their own sort of quiet council, and that uh, Iska would be you know, clearly a part of it. I hope you're right, though. I hope that uh, we don't that these books don't turn into. X-Men versus Iraqi oh, Iraqians. <laughs> I don't want to see that every time out. And I also hope that the Iraqo contingent doesn't get their own book, because who would want to read that? <laughs> and what's more, who would want to spend hours and hours analyzing it? Not me. Uh, certainly not me. It reminds me of... Uh, when they launched the new 52 and they gave us the list of all 52 books that were coming out. And I was going down like the Green Lantern list. And it's like, okay, we have Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps, Green Lantern like Emerald Warriors or, or the New Guardians, Green Lantern, the New Guardians, and then Red Lanterns. And it's like, who would want to read Red Lanterns? Uh, if the, the Araco book would be the Red Lanterns of the X-Men line here. I hope that never comes to pass. Damien continues. Overall, I would have to say that I enjoyed X of Tens. It was the first time since Hoxpox that I needed to read the X books on release day. It got me excited about the X Men again. As a story, it was a little disjointed and was oddly paced. On reflection, it reminds me of the Cross Time Caper from the original Excalibur run. The Cross Time Caper was also a bit of a mishmash, but it contained some real gems. And this really was an Excalibur story. I think that's a really good comparison A really good comparison It's funny, um, back before I was you know, talking about comics And writing about comics all the time I'd sometimes get like a wild hair to reread Or revisit the Cross Time Caper And I always remember it fondly And then I read it <laughs> And a mismatch is a really good way of putting it Because uh, there are some diamonds in the rough, but there's a lot of rough to get through, too. Uh, it's a toughie, and uh, I think that's a really good comparison for Exitens here, because there were some diamonds in uh, in the rough here with Exitens. Those The Hellion stories were fantastic, the, the Marauders two-parter with the, uh, the dinner party, even the Marauders solo storm issue. Solid stuff, solid stuff. Uh, X-Men 15 with Cyclops, you know, putting together the team again. As weird as that was, solid enough, right? But there was a lot of rough, too. <laughs> I mean, we had we had that two-parter with Wolverine in Hell. For what reason? I, I don't know. Because we needed to fill 22 <laughs> issues. Uh, but, uh, you know, your, your point is very well taken here. And the comparison is, is spot on. And you're totally right here. This was 100% an Excalibur story that just somehow usurped the entire Dawn of X line for... Reasons that are lost to me. I, I don't know. I don't know why this was the story. This was the one that they said, "Okay, well, that's the ticket. This is the one that's going to. Uh, this is the one that's going to take us into the next phase of this story." I. I don't know. I, yeah, we got to remain cautiously optimistic. I suppose we've uh, we've only read one Reign of X book so far, and uh, and we liked it. So uh, everything is moving in the right direction. Uh, Damien continues. Of course, since Exitens ended, I've dropped most of the X-Books again, but I'm buying more than I was before, which is probably exactly what Marvel would want from me. I'm now getting Hellions and X-Factor as well as Marauders, so I've actually tripled my X-Books. So I'm sure it's been a success from their point of view. Hey, I mean, what more can you ask for, right? Um, 
And you just now reminded me how much I loved that issue of X-Factor, which was... Feels like it was a hundred years ago, X Factor number four, where uh, where Lorna goes through the prophecies and sets up the uh, the action figure display playset, and we find out that about the resurrection protocols being wonky. Excellent issue, excellent issue. And um, if I were a better, more balanced human being, <laughs> and not a uh, completionist. I think those are the three books that I'd probably be sticking with right now. X Factor is on the bubble. But Hellions and Marauders are are surefire uh, pull list books for sure. And uh, hey, if if Marvel is has gotten you to triple your order, that's a that's a success. That's a success. Damien wraps up with anyway until Doug beats Iska in an arm wrestling match. Make my next lapsed. To which I'd say, don't give them ideas. Because <laughs> after some of the stuff we saw, you know, killing a kitten and humping a rock, <laughs> and we saw an arm wrestling match too. Uh, I could see that being revisited somewhere down the line I guess uh, we'll have to wait and see But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts I was really looking forward to hearing what you thought of uh, of the finale to Exit Tens here And I'm so happy to have heard your thoughts and been able to share them with everyone else here So thank you uh, Next, Evan, he is not quite to Exosword's destruction yet He is talking about Excalibur number 15 he says, so, I kicked off Excalibur 15 by going to X-Men 15 and confirming that, in fact, no, there was no full-scale war going on at the end, just Genesis putting on the Annihilation Mask. I don't mean to keep picking on the Wolverine Gets a Sword in Hell two-parter, it might be somebody's favorite, but if we needed some extra pages, I have an idea where they could have been trimmed. Yes, yes, that's... <laughs> and I mean, we joke about this a lot on the show... That it's basically a trope now It's a meme Anytime we cover an issue of Excalibur We have to ask Hey, did I miss an issue? Because, boy Even though this is a relatively Comparatively tightly told story here 22-part story In order, right? It's there, there, are no, there is no nebulous bits here Because they are all sequential You'd figure that it would be a little bit smoother In the transition But you're right X-Men number 15, the mask goes on. X-Men, uh, Excalibur 15, demons everywhere. I mean, where did that come from? Of course, we can connect dots, but we shouldn't have to, right? Uh, heaven continues. After that speed bump, I have to say I enjoyed most of the issue. But I'm with you on the out-of-nowhere reintroduction of the Betsy Britton Corps. Betsy hasn't been part of the story since part, I'm not going to look it up, much to the dismay of her bereaved, beautiful, blonde British brother Brian and nobody else. And now we learn that this conflict millennia in the making was part of Saturnine's plan to get Brian back in the Captain Britain saddle after, in Marvel time, what, a few weeks? I feel like the story makes more sense to the writers and maybe I'm just slow putting the pieces together. Well, brother, if you're slow, so am I. <laughs> the, uh, the fact that and I'm pretty sure I made the the futures and the DC New Fifty Two Futures End comparison, where we told this huge sprawling story just to get a new Batman Beyond. It feels kind of like that. Um, and you're right here. Something I didn't even consider is the fact that Brian hasn't been out of the togs that long. You know, sliding time scale or not, it might have been just a couple weeks. And Saturnine just uh, it all went to her head right now, and she had to she had to fix this. She had to right this wrong. And I think you're you're right on the money here that uh, this probably makes a ton more sense to the writers 
Um, unfortunately, we're left using our own headcanon to fill in blanks, which really isn't uh, really isn't the best way to, to deliver your story. At least in my opinion, I could be mistaken. Uh, Evan wraps up with, Gonna read Destruction soon, and I'm just gonna call it right here. Rejected by Genesis and Brian Avalon, singer of the hit single Megan, Don't Kiss That Elf, Apocalypse and Saturnine elope in a ceremony officiated by Mad Jeb Jaspers and buy a timeshare on Emma Frost's island with Cypher and Bay. That would have been an ending worth reading for, I tell ya. <laughs> I mean, the story was heavy with whimsy, but uh, it didn't exactly end whimsically. It, uh... Most of the genies go back in the bottle and uh, we just move on to the next thing. But I, I like your ending a little bit better. Um, I mean, we do have Apocalypse buying a timeshare on Araco or a Menth, right? So uh, that's a thing. But uh, I want to thank you so much for sharing your uh, thoughts on Excalibur 15. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the big finale in Destruction. Really looking forward to that. But uh, that'll do it for the mailbag today. If you would like to be part of the mailbag, hey... You can find me easily on these internets. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And you can hear all the Chris and Reggie noise that you'd want to hear over at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, that's going to do it for today. Uh, we are back on the uh, on track here. We're on the Reign of X highway? Freeway? I don't know. We're, we're, we're on the Reign of X right now. That's what we're doing. And uh, I'm happy to finally be back. And I was uh, very, very happy to get the opportunity to share another issue of Hellions with everybody. So I want to thank you all so, so much for joining me on the Reign of X highway or whatever this is. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.